0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Council Podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I am joined by Dylan and Vivek for this episode of the show. The 2022 conference semifinals went down to the wire with two Game 7s that ended in two championship favorites going home. We review all the series that took place and preview the upcoming conference finals. Finally, four new teams are headed to Cancun in the Grizzlies, Sixers, Suns, and Bucks, we discuss the uncertain futures ahead for all of these teams, and who has the best chance for success next season. Today is May 15th, 2022, and this is the 62nd episode of the show. And we are smoking that Suns pack tonight. Oh my Good god. Serves.
1: How are y'all doing? Yo, that was terrible. <laughs> that was Yo, that's, that's your first seat. That, that's our Western Conference first seat right there for this season. Oh my God,
0: <laughs> that was your first seed, this season.
1: I
2: guess the rapture came and engulfed the sun, or in this case, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, what, what, what were their Booker even doing, man? Like it was crazy watching Booker and CP3, and especially Aiden. Like they were terrible out there. Man. Are...
0: And just to recap the Dallas Mavericks we just saw about let's say 2 hours ago the Dallas Mavericks went to game 7 at the Footprint Center in Phoenix against the best record in the NBA Phoenix Suns the title favorites and they just absolutely walloped them 123 to 90 this game was over at halftime they had a 30 point lead at halftime luka doncic had 27 points which was tied with the overall phoenix suns entire roster at the end of one half and this wasn't even close dallas takes the first road game of the series um, the first road winners basically in the series and phoenix goes home before they even reach the conference uh finals basically a cp3 classic actually they, they so.
1: talked a lot of crap the entire season about how we're we're hungry. We're dogs. We're gonna go. We're gonna go right back to the finals <laughs> to rematch against wh- whoever's on the east, such as like the Bucks. And now they get they exit out in the second round. That is, wow. That's just really disappointing. And I think next season, I think they shouldn't say any of that at all. I don't think they even should even trash talk. At all, against any other team, because after what <laughs> yeah exactly he got
2: humbled really bad
0: yep, and G couldn't make it tonight. he is uh obviously incapacitated, he is yeah. in a dark room, listening to Marvin's room, and he just
2: conveniently couldn't make it to tonight's podcast despite us controlling him yeah,
1: I, I was about to I was about to open a missing person report for him after what happened two <laughs> hours ago and I, I i didn't did you guys call him, I didn't call him. I just want to make sure he's okay. I want to make sure he's okay. He's still drinking water, you know. <laughs>
0: stay hydrated.
1: Stay hi- Stay hydrated, yes. Making sure he's alive and just accepting the fact that CP... Or sorry, I can't call him CP3 anymore. I, I, I showed everyone else this. We call him Christopher by now. We call him Christopher. I think you can take away CP3 because of what happened to him he- and how he performed, which was pretty bad. Actually, he, he performed like the past two ga- the past two games, I mean, game six and game seven, he did pretty bad.
0: I mean, it was even before that. Like, once he turned 37, and we're going to make this a whole sticking point, but I don't know if that matters all too much. But after his 37th birthday, Chris Paul averaged just 8.7 points per game in the last four games of this series. Um, actually, wait, like, like, yeah, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8.7 points per game. And the Suns were up 2-0. This was the sixth time that Chris Paul has blown a 2-0 lead in the playoffs. And, you know, it's going to be a huge sticking point as to why CP3 just, oh, I'm sorry, Christopher basically was unable to perform in the brightest lights and just finish off these Mavericks. They were up 3-2, and they had two games to finish it, one at home, and they just completely didn't show up.
2: It was pitiful to watch Christopher play out there. But I can't even put the majority of blame on Christopher. I'd have to give it honestly to Aiden and Booker. Because, let's face it, Christopher is 37 at this point, right? You can't expect him to be the best player and be the difference maker. Without Christopher, Booker and Aiden just don't look like they're cut out for the big lights at this point. I mean, sure, they have games where they do really flashy moves and... They have high throughputs and put up gaudy stats. But, I mean, Aiden in particular, I think he deserves more smoke right now because he was so disappointing. The literal flaw of the Mavs is that they don't really have a true center. And Aiden should be feasting on them. But, like, he completely disappeared this series. He basically put bricks near the protected area. It was absolutely pitiful to just watch him, man. I think that he just needs a lot more criticism thrown in his way. And Booker, you know, Booker's circles are publicized. He took a lot of bad shots. The Mavs were forcing him to do contested mid-ranges. I know Booker has a penchant of trying to go for that because the Suns were the best mid-range team in the league, but still, just another pitiful performance to watch. It was just really sad watching Booker and Aiden, and I think that just needs to be set out more from the mountaintops. Like, Christopher is going to be Christopher. You know, he has his moments, he carried the Suns against the Pelicans. I think if you take him out from that series, the Pelicans actually have a really good shot at beating the Suns, but Jesus Christ. That was I think so also the season,
1: it's all, the end of Aiton's contract, right? Yeah. Um, and he was trying to go for extension, but the Phoenix Suns organization did not give him that. So, and he, I think throughout the regular season, he kind of tried to prove to the organization like why they should re-sign him, but... Now yep. looking at this whole play, his whole entire career in the playoffs. Uh, again, I mean, he did have some bright light, a few flashes, or not a few, pretty good flashes during the um, the Pelicans against the Pelicans. But just this whole series against the Mavs, I think it kind of forced, um, or not forced, but it kind of made the Suns do like a double take on what they want to do for the future for him.
0: Well, it's concerning that now there's also that, but. There's now rumors because DeAndre Ayton only played 17 minutes. And granted, it was a blowout, but he did play significantly less than Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Some of it was attributed to foul trouble, but at the end of the game...
2: Wait, sorry, who? Chris Paul? Oh, I'm sorry, Christopher.
0: Christopher. My bad. I'm sorry about that. Christopher and Devin Booker. But DeAndre Ayton, basically, when asked about why he only played 17 minutes, um, head coach Monty Williams said... um, This is internal, right? And DeAndre Ayton has now declined to speak with the media. This is all coming out right now as we're speaking. This is a little bit of drama, I think, coming in. And it seems like there's going to be a little bit of a feud, honestly, coming to a head soon. He is a free agent. Some
1: internal combustion happening from the Suns, I see. Exactly. Suns are starting to burn out. (laughs) But I think... I I heard it when I was watching the broadcast, and when Monty Williams said that, I kind of I don't want to start rumors, but I think my theory was um maybe he started getting a little a uh, feud or kind of getting frustrated with all the foul calls, and because I remember during the game, um Aiden he had like two like two call two foul calls called on him like back to back, yeah, and the fact that he was like the whole team. And the combination of the whole team wasn't getting the rhythm, and uh, I don't, I forgot I'm pretty sure he didn't he also didn't play too well or he didn't did he get a lot of touches? He yeah,
0: had five points.
1: Oh he, yeah, so I'm assuming that it's probably that immaturity kind of like sneaking in sneaking in on the team, or say, he probably like told Monty like oh I don't I I was like I don't want to go back in because we're not. It's like no one's feeding me the ball, or I'm not gonna win. We, we're not gonna win. This, yeah, we're so. not gonna win. Or we're just as a whole team right now. We we're not we're not playing where we're supposed to be at the level that we want to be at. So I think it's definitely the immaturity level right there because he's still pretty young. But I think maybe that's a, a factor in why um, Aiden only played about 17 minutes this tonight. And you,
0: yeah, I do think he pulled himself out of this game and that's a quitter mentality honestly even if you're down by 40 you don't you know it's game 7 this is the game you're supposed to get up and n- the entire phoenix roster basically said nah we're not going to do it this like today the entire phoenix starting five scored a total 37 points luka doncic also had 35 all happens to be
2: Christopher's age right now huh yeah
0: oh wow how about that it's a tribute it's a tribute it's a, it's a Chris Paul special. 37
2: points for Christopher's birthday. <laughs> to have 37 shots, it's 37 points, man. Yeah. But they'll get, be able to get 37 shots in Cancun, though, am I right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're going to need that to erase what happened tonight.
2: Exactly. They're going to need some Don Julio, some Everclear, just just whatever to get their mind tequila, off a of
1: Tequila, A lot of tequila, a lot of tequila. A lot of tequila, man.
0: G will be uh, joining them shortly. Yeah,
1: he'll, he'll be sitting next to Christopher and asking him a lot of questions um, what, what happened the hell? you know what's funny how uh our 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 co-host g he's such a huge cp or sorry not cp christopher fan right mm-hmm. and he's like he's kind of like that girlfriend that's been on the journey ever since <laughs> the beginning oh my but gosh. E- during each saga he's been just he's been disappointed by each performance i don't know I'm assuming he watched uh, Christopher when he was on the Hornets they went to the playoffs, got knocked out then you have the, Clippers, the Los Angeles Clippers saga got knocked out and Steph Curry knocked his ankles out <laughs> um, then you go to Houston, still nothing and got knocked out of the playoffs, then he goes to the Thunder, first round gets knocked out, then now he goes to the Suns first year he takes them to the i believe his first year right yeah. took him to the took them to the finals gets knocked out this and now we're at the present day gets knocked out in the second round so i'm just wondering like how long will g put up with all this disappointment because i think it's because 2022 we i guess the entire world we're putting a lot of mental health right or, or there, there's a focus on mental health oh, wow. so i'm just wondering if how much how much how much, oh, how much emotional take, and oh, mental how toil can... that he can take exactly because i i feel bad for this man and i want to help him out but he he just likes he just likes hanging out with christopher and i don't know what to do this is what kendrick it's was talking like about and in... kendrick was talking about <laughs> i was gonna say the
2: same thing this is literally we cried together oh my gosh
0: Pop culture reference for you right there.
2: Exactly. Except Christopher's going to be crying about his title odds oh, man. for the rest of his career. I think last year was his best chance. I mean, they've got through an injured Lakers team. And then, you know, I mean, they were all right in that postseason. But then Giannis was Giannis. And, and then Christopher was like, oh, my God, you know, I have a taste and I'm addicted to playing in the finals now. So I'll just go run it right back, you know. In a stacked Western Conference. And they were good in the regular season, don't get me wrong. But when push comes to shove, you know, that's in the championship DNA. That's when you have the brightest players shine in their brightest lights. And Chris Paul, he has had a reputation of being a clutch player. But, I mean, he's had a reputation of heralding and being kind of the focal point of some of the worst collapses too, right? Yep. So, it this is... Just really unfortunate for christopher i mean he is a great point guard but honestly he didn't show up when it mattered the most but like i said before you should grow more smoke at aiden and booker those two guys completely
1: disappointed i think booker, uh, yeah, yeah booker booker on game five when they beat um the mavericks he said i think during one of the foul when he got an n one he or a foul call he called it the luca special and that really pissed off luca and that kind of shows that if you're going to talk a lot of trash, you better, you better back it up. And I think ever since he said that, like he was nowhere to be found on Game 6 and Game 7. Devin
0: Booker had two points at the end of the half. And basically, he filled it in in garbage time. But yeah, you, you can't act like you're the best. It's like the definition of front running, basically. Where were you before Chris Paul, man? We all know where you were. You weren't in the playoffs. You were getting Toiling. DeAndre Ayton by tanking so hard. <laughs> like you're just lucky that you know they select. They should have selected you know Luka Doncic over you. I mean not over him, but the, over DeAndre Ayton. And even then, like I can't believe people were comparing Luka Doncic to Devin Booker, ever. That is an ever.
2: asinine and ridiculous take to even make.
1: I think at after this after this season or after today you cannot i think people just have cannot put or cannot say devin booker is better than luka cuz after what transpired today i don't even
2: know if that was a consensus like popular take across the media and the fans mostly the fans but besides some suns homers i don't really think anyone would say that booker was better than luka by a long shot and if they ever said that before then this series will basically put those guys to bed. I mean, there's no comparison. Booker is definitely an all-star, right? But, I mean, Tate, not not Tatum. Tatum is also great. But still, I think that Luka is on another level.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's only 23, so he has so much. He still hasn't reached his peak yet. So there's so much more to come for him.
0: You're talking about I'm, Luka, right?
1: Yeah, I'm talking about Luka. Yes. So um, there's so much to look forward to for him, and I'm excited to see that.
0: Now let's talk about the Mavericks for a second here because, you know, we can shit on the Suns all we want and we will, but you know, the Mavericks are ultimately the ones who pulled off this upset. And what I thought I saw, basically, you know, and we saw this throughout, ever since, let's say, game 3 or 4, they were trapping Booker, basically. They kept forcing these double teams on him and maybe forcing CP3 to carry the load and well, you know, Christopher couldn't deliver and that's also because he's 37, like You would rather have the 37 year old try to do everything for the team and try to carry the team than Devin Booker. And it kind of worked in a way. And, you know, the Suns basically were just turning the ball over at such a ridiculous rate at one point. And, you know, no one could get into a rhythm. Um, I think at a certain point in time, they had more turnovers than assists. And, you know, it was just bad on all levels. Like, I think Game Six they had just a ridiculous amount of turnovers. Game Seven, you know, I think they had eight like eight assists and seven turnovers at the half, and by the halftime it was already over basically. So, like credit to the Mavericks, they did a great job defensively, and I'm, like not a credit to Monty Williams because you've we've seen this Devin Booker trap for like three four games now, and like, they never adjusted. Still,
1: practiced. still he hasn't. St- practice how to get out of the trap how are you gonna like or get out of the double team
0: how are you gonna call yourself the star of the team or the face of the franchise you know a winner if you can't beat a double team you know like Harden faces that LeBron faces that Curry yeah faces that Durant you know the good ones the great ones do you guys double Luka like come on man what are you doing if you can't score on a double team then are you really one of like a generational scorer and that's really all Devin Booker is really known for is his ability to get buckets, right? Like, And if you can't do that against a double team, then how much of a star are you?
2: You're an all-star for sure, but are you really someone that can be considered a feature great? Andrew Wiggins is an can all-star. be at that legacy? <laughs> <She> <laughs> Andrew Wiggins is an all-star. I mean, an all-star is basically a popularity contest and also how much K-pop stands for you. Yes. But that's a different story completely. I think that when it comes to Devin Booker, right, they just didn't uh, really respond well to the trap, they being the Suns. And Devin Booker needed to create more. He needed to find a way to get into a rhythm, into the forcing bad shots. And every time he drove, he seemed to complain at the refs (laughs) a lot. Just a lot of bad body language tics. But that's just me being nitpicky. No, No, he definitely was crying. he He was definitely crying. Some really bad performances throughout the series and he could have done a lot more and he needs to do more too. He should be the focal point of the team, not Christopher. Christopher's 37. The guy was literally already taking you from basically a borderline play-in team because or not even a play-in team. they weren't really good at all bef- before entering the bubble. But when Christopher came because of his previous relationship with Monty, that sent the Suns to a whole new stratosphere of contention. And while Booker and Aiden were really good in the regular season, I mean, they also made it to the finals last year. But still, this is a situation where it's acceptable to lose to the Mavericks because I've been saying this for the longest time. The Mavericks are a very good team, but it's not acceptable to lose in the manner in which the Suns did. And that's really all that we need to be focusing on because Luka, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, they were great this game. They were scoring at well. They were making some really, really tough shots, especially Dinwiddie. He was basically switching on to Aiden, and he was just dancing, and he was just getting all of the buckets he wanted to. He hit some really hard step-back threes, and he just basically used every trick in the book and was able to freeze and isolate all of his defenders. But I just think that him and Brunson, the Mavs were basically just letting them attack in the paint all they wanted to like Brunson was using his floaters he was just hitting turnarounds and the Suns just never really adjusted to that I just felt like they just let those guys score and even when Luca wasn't in the game the Mavericks still were completely dominant with the Jalen Brunson led minutes I just couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that Like the, here was the Suns main lineup against you know kind of their secondary bench squad led by Brunson and it was pitiful it was really sad to watch. And, yeah, the Suns deserve all the smoke. They just they just sucked.
0: The, the good, like, the Mavericks are a good team. The Suns should be the title favorites, and they were the title favorites. They outpaced, what, every team by, like, 10 wins this season or something like that? It was a ridiculous amount. And, you know, you can lose a game like this. Everyone, like, sometimes in the playoffs, you just get blown out straight and simple the defending champion bucks they lost in a blowout to the nets in their first game right in last year the warriors lost by like 50 in uh, game 5 this year mm-hmm. the issue is that you lost not one game you lost four games you lost four games that's how you know when the series is over if you shouldn't let it get to a do or die game 7 where you have because the chance of you having an off shooting night you know there's a good chance that you could have that and when you let it to get to that level of variation, where it's like, okay, like, if we just have a bad shooting night, we're done. Our season's over. You should never let it get to that point. You should have won game six. You should have won game three or four. You should have closed this out from the start if you were a championship caliber team. So this is extremely disappointing. Like, you're going to have a bad game, and you did have a bad game. But you should have never let it get to this point. You should have at least tried in one of these other games right and a lot of these games i don't think there's a single close game honestly in this series maybe game one but i think the rest were all blowouts just you know one-sided blowouts each way so a very odd series you know each one basically the home team won until you know game seven where it happened but you know we're gonna move on from that mavericks are in phoenix is out a very Loud team, I guess, with a lot of success in the regular season, exits. Speaking of those, we move on to the Warriors-Grizzlies series, where the Warriors similarly upset the number two seed Grizzlies, if we could call it that, in six games. John Morant did not play the last three games of this series. The Warriors advanced to their sixth Western Conference Finals appearance in eight years. Yet the upstart Grizzlies go home, gritty So... Thoughts, observations, what did you guys see from this series
1: for the Warriors? Um, I think for the Warriors, I think it kind of shows that we should... Kavon's pretty legit. <laughs> I think a lot of people give him so much flack for not even doing anything. I think a lot of people think he doesn't really offer much to the team, but it kind of showed on Game 6 at home against the Grizzlies that, hey, I can rebound. I can I can help set up screens. I can help do get the offensive rebounds to give the team a second chance cuz he ended that game with uh, Dennis Rodman like numbers 22, 22 22 total rebounds so that's kind of like one of the big uh, he's kind of like an unsung hero for the team because everyone pays attention to Steph, Clay Draymond and Jordan Poole but he, people kind of forget that hey Kevon I's like he's there too he's he's the one doing the dirty work and without him or without him in game 6 I don't think I think we would have lost in Game 7 at Memphis if, if it were to come to that. But we're lucky that um, Kavon stepped up and um, really played his tail off. And also, he played eight, all 82 games this season. And coming off from like three hip surgeries, that's really impressive.
0: He's an absolute iron man. And the Warriors, against the number one rebounding team in the league, in the Grizzlies, out-rebounded them in every single game except for Game 5. So... You know, credit to Kevon Looney because once Steven Adams was inserted into that lineup, I was scared because I thought, you know, they did a lot better once Steven Adams was in. I don't know why Taylor Jenkins didn't put him in Game 3 when he was there. But either way, like, they really clogged up the paint. They made it harder for the Warriors to rebound. But Andrew Wiggins and um, Kevon Looney, they really stepped up and they were able to help out-rebound the Grizzlies, force those second-chance opportunities denied them for the Grizzlies and just did enough to win like that last six zero run by the Warriors I think it was um I think it was seven zero actually where Wiggins got a dunk and then he stole it from Brooks got another one and then you know they forced another turnover and Steph hit that three that was when momentum shifted that's when the Warriors could finally close them out and that's the kind of you know playoff experience that they were talking about with the Warriors like they were talking all about experience experience you know the Grizzlies don't have it the Warriors do have it but that's exactly why that's the case because the Warriors just know how to close out games they know that even when they're down by so much they have you know the will to just say that we can't give up now we know what position we're in we've been in this exact same position before you know we can be down big and we can still win big at the end of the day and you saw that they kept their composure wire as the Grizzlies. They kept chucking shots sometimes. Like that game four, Dylan Brooks was just chucking it just from everywhere. And maybe that's just what he does. But, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the end of that game too, he tried to go for the game tying three that had no chance, blocked by Draymond, instead of trying to go for a quick two and then just keep playing the game. But he just tried to go for it all now. Like that's the kind of experience that the Grizzlies will have to need moving forward. And I do think that they will probably get better once they get a little bit more kind of I guess in terms of their veteran status. I do want to pose a question though. Do you think that if Ja Morant was available the entire series, do you think that the Grizzlies would have won?
1: Um, I for me, I think the difference between having Jaw and not having Jaw is um, for example, when uh in games when Jaw got in after Jaw got injured the, I feel I felt like the Grizzlies played a lot better actually without him because mm-hmm. I think when you have Jaw, he's such a ball dominant point guard, so he's known to always drive in, right? And he's not really a huge playmaker, but I just feel like without when the Grizzlies don't have Jaw, it allows other players such as Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Brandon Clark, Zaire, Zaire Williamson, right? They all can start getting into rhythm compared to when jaw uh, holds the ball half the time and when he just it kind of ruins the flow for the rest of the players so that's kind of that's kind of how i see it um but yeah i think they just i think it's just the difference is um the other players being able to get in rhythm it's the biggest difference
0: so do you think that jaw you think that if the warriors like you think the warriors could win though so we'll I still, I
1: still that. think the Warriors can win. Mm-hmm. It's just that if it came down to Game Seven at, at Memphis, it'll be really tough, mm-hmm. especially because obviously there's that home, there's that um home court advantage that everyone talks that that will always be there, mm-hmm. and um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, even, yeah, I still believe the Warriors will be able to close it out. It's just that it'll be a lot tougher.
2: It's certainly possible, but. You wouldn't be able to make it a slam dog prediction that the Warriors would be winning if Ja Morant would still playing the last three games. I mean we'll never know for sure. And that's the thing, right? We don't have a crystal ball, we can't make an alternate reality and say here's what would happen if, you know, Ja was in all of these games. Because the game plan would be completely different. We wouldn't be going big if we had um if we had Jaw still in the game to f- game plan against right the reason why we were able to go big in the last game and the reason why Kevon Looney started was because if they were going to start Steven Adams to try and exploit the Warriors lack of size then you had to go big and you have to basically play to the boards because what the Grizzlies were doing is that they were just sagging off Draymond and making him and during him to shoot but at that point what you have to do then is that you have to have somebody who can deal with the other big Because you are not dealing with just Steven Adams, you are also dealing with JJJ Mm -hmm. and Brandon Clark, who are all a lot bigger than the Warriors' starting five, typically, and especially their small ball lineup. They couldn't play the series the same way they did against Denver, who had an atrocious perimeter defense. Um, The Grizzlies were actually very well-disciplined on defense, and their physical nature and their size was able to disrupt the Warriors' offensive movements a lot. It was really just coming down to... Lewin could get the rebounds, and Draymond could get the rebounds, and Wiggins could get the rebounds, and then from there, if they can just create more opportunities for the rest of the team, and you saw that too. There were a lot of ebbs and flows. Um, not some really great, not some great shooting um, from the whole team overall, besides Clay. Uh, Game six, Clay coming back in full force. Right. I think it's just a mental thing at this point that he just turns it on. Then, but you go, you love it when you see it, right? And you know, Steph found his rhythm later. In the game, too. He's not really been too amazing this Grizzly series. You know, he's still been one of the best playoff performers uh, this season, this postseason, but I would want to see a little bit more from him. And Jordan Poole had a lot of struggles this series, too. I think that he should have gotten a lot more foul calls, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the refs should have given him the whistle because he was getting pretty mauled on uh, when he was driving into the paint. But that's some adjustments we'll have to make to uh, having some growing pains as he becomes more of a featured scorer on this team. So this was a really tough series uh, that the Warriors just went through. Um, it could have easily gone um, different ways if Jaw was in it or Jaw wasn't in it. I'm not going to definitively say that the Warriors will win it, but I'm not also going to say that DeGroese just win it outright if Jaw was in the series, because although he did take over um, like, games three and games four, right? Uh, um,
0: game maybe two and three.
2: Sorry, yeah, two and three. Yeah. Four, he wasn't... He got injured in four, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He yeah. got injured before so, four.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I meant, yeah, he was out in game four. So, the, I mean, the issue with that is, you know, they play a pretty different style with John without jaw, and that was pretty evident. They were getting the ball to John Jackson more, and... Desmond Bain and they got some more ability to create with the ball. And they did a good job too, you know. It wasn't an easy series, but I don't know, um if we can say for sure. Yeah. If the Warriors win.
0: I think that Jaw what he needs to do in the future is blend, integrate his teammates a little bit more. I know he's got these got the assist numbers, but it just feels like the entire offense kinda of slows down to just Jaw versus whoever's in front of him sometimes and then they're all just waiting for jaw to pass it to him i feel like they just need to get a little bit more fluid on offense because i think that when jaw wasn't on the court they all felt like oh it's my responsibility to do something right as opposed to let's just defer to jaw so i think that's something that they're going to have to work with in the offseason taylor jenkins will definitely have a lot on his plate so he's got to make sure that he's like ready to kind of make this memphis team even better next time and then take that playoff experience and kind of mold them into a better team so there you were a very good regular season team i'll give them that but very exciting very exciting very, very exciting very dynamic but you know they're just gonna have to learn from this playoff experience not everyone wins in their first successful season they're a young team they'll probably get better from here on out Because experience is one of the most important and most valuable things that you can get. So, that leads us to the Western Conference Finals. So, we have the 4th seeded Dallas Mavericks and the 3rd seed Golden State Warriors. The one or 2 seed are both eliminated. And that means the Warriors are going to have home court advantage not only in this series, but in any potential finals matchups too. Because they have the tiebreaker over the Heat. And they have the more wins than the Celtics. So, you know, Warriors have home court advantage. But Dallas actually led the season series. I think two to one or three to one, but you know. So did Memphis. They led three to one on the series as well as Denver. So we can't really discount. We can't count the regular season games too heavily on this. So, what do you think are the keys to victory for each team in order to move on to the finals?
1: Um, I think for the Warriors, um, it's just figuring out how to contain Luca. Because obviously, from this Sun series, uh, you can't stop Luca. You can only contain him. Mm-hmm. So, I think the Warriors are gonna have to do something, uh, somehow, to contain Luca. I think by just um, either putting Draymond on him, or s- switching between Draymond and um, Andrew Wiggins, because I think that those two are one, there are better defenders on the, on the Warriors team. Mm-hmm. And if we had GBT, if we had gp2 i think that would have been even better because yeah. he would have him from uh from full all the way from all the way from one court or one end of the for one end of the court to the other end mm-hmm. i think just forcing the other uh, mavericks to shoot or play make for so it kind of puts more pressure on the others on the mavericks team to score and play make instead of luca
0: yeah, and I think that the best way to defend Luka is, you know, the Warriors have faced a lot of one-star teams so far in the playoffs. You know, Jokic, the MVP, Ja, and now Luka. I think the best thing you got to do is you got to make them work both ends because, and this is kind of the LeBron strategy that they employed later in um the finals, basically, is that if you're the one who's carrying the big load for your team, just... Make it even bigger on them, honestly. So make Luka play defense. That's what the Suns were doing back in game two. They kept switching on to Luka And then Jason Kidd tried to just take that out of the, uh, tried to stop the switches on Luca. But credit to Luka too. He started to get, tried a little bit harder on defense. But you got to make him work. You got to switch him on to Steph. You got to switch him on to clay and pull and just run them around basically. Force Luka to just, you know, just keep pushing it. And then he won't have as much stamina to run the offense and drive or kick it out, right? And the thing is that the Mavericks are so lethal when it comes to three-point shooting. They've just shot the lights out against both the Jazz and the Suns in this series. Like, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, he had like eight three-pointers in a single game in one of these games. So... You know, they are such a great three-point shooting team, and they're such a great defense in that they prevent the three-point shooting. So that's really, I think, the key. Just like with the Grizzlies, Warriors, it's offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding. I think the three-point shooting, whoever defends it better, whoever makes more shots um, in terms of three-point range, I think that's going to win it. And shooters can get cold. So you're kind of praying for, you know, maybe the Mavericks shooters come down a little bit. But you got to be ready to defend the perimeter at all times when it comes to this. And I think, you know, lastly, the interior. Like Mavericks, again, like Vivek said, there's no, uh, they don't really have a traditional center. I mean, so don't the Warriors, right? But if you can get a lot of buckets inside the paint, I think that's where you have to target this Mavericks uh, defense, basically.
2: I think one more key to that would have to be Jalen Brunson because he's been able to score inside the paint nearly at well uh, throughout this postseason. I mean, he had the Game 1 hiccup against the Suns, but ever since then, he's been pretty sensational in navigating around bigger defenders. So having a guy like GP2 would have been really useful that series because Jalen Brunson is a very legitimate threat. So that's going to be another key too because he can definitely keep the Mavericks in the game if Luca uh, is gonna, he's gonna draw the majority of the, the attention. He's gonna be the guy who is the point A for what the Warriors have in their game plan against. But Joan Brunson's a threat too. And so is Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, he's been kind of hot and cold, but yeah, when he gets hot, he can really shoot and he can really create. Like I was saying with this earlier against the Suns, what he and Brunson were doing today. And then like you were saying too, you, you just kind of have to pray that the Mavericks stop shooting as well as they do, because I believe they shot nearly 50% to, in today's game. It was incredible to watch, and while the Suns, they profiled to be a better defensive team, having Crowder and Bridges, um, Bridges looked pretty helpless against Luka, so I do worry a little bit um, if Someone bigger like Draymond or Wiggins, not really Wiggins, but I would say more so Draymond, someone bigger like Draymond could try to contest Luca more so around the post area and give and pose a bigger challenge to him. But like Dylan was saying, you can only just hope to contain him. I think the keys for the Warriors for this series too, I guess offensively, I think you look to Jordan Poole a little bit more too have him try to attack the paint harder and it just can't be a game where both teams just shoot. You gotta mix it up a little bit as well. I don't think that Maxi Kleba and you know, Jordan Finney Smith, they don't really defend the paint all too well, I would say. And I would just attack that aspect really hard and just drive and kick more. Yeah. Or if not just drive.
1: I would say also say don't force the threes. Because I think at one point during, the I think when I noticed from watching the Warriors and Grizzlies series, um, I think I would say, especially like the fifty, um, uh, the one where we lost by fifty, um, we were like chucking up threes. I would say like let the game come to you, kind of, and just take. If they give you the if they give you the mid range, I would say just settle for the mid range because, um, they're not contesting, and there's a. I think it's better to get two points than. An empty possession, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And one more key attack Luca. Uh, Use the pick and roll and attack Luca. Get this nice switch on him and get the advantage on the matchup and just go up. <laughs> we
0: never do pick and roll until like the end. It's annoying. We never
2: do it. I mean, that's what literally clinched this game uh, yeah. against the Grizzlies. You just did a pick and roll on Adams, and Adams is kind of helpless and no man's land out there a lot of the games, but yeah, yeah just run the same idea here too.
0: I think the Warriors, they benefit from not having a traditional center, because Looney, I think, can guard the perimeter better than a because that's what they did. Cleaver just spaced out to the three-point line, and then he just got to shoot it. Seo did Bertans, so I think that with a guy like Looney, he's had experience on switching on to the perimeter and being able to guard those guys, so He's not completely helpless out there, but I think the Warriors can also play a lot smaller than the Suns can sometimes. So, again, it would be so nice to have GP2 out there for this series because he would probably serve as a center in this case because, you know, Norman Powell is not really, you know, an intimidator out there. So it's not like a huge... And GP2 plays like a center. So, you know, it's just a shame that he's not going to be here. But, you know, who do you think... Who would you predict wins
1: this series? Gotta go with the Warriors, right? No, mean I mean, we're that, all fans here. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's fans, only one, sir, there's only one right. answer, uh, but I would say Warriors in six because I have a lot of res- I I have a lot of respect of what the Mavericks team can do just by watching the Sun series their series against the Suns, and I won't I will not count them out that um that easily. So Warriors in six. I agree. I'll
2: probably go with the Warriors in 7.
0: Oof. Yeah.
2: I think this is going to be the toughest matchup yet. And Luka's going to clown on the Warriors defense some games. I think that's just
1: just inevitable. He's going to tell Steph he's too small.
0: <laughs> I think that the Warriors, if they play with the requisite amount of discipline and focus, the game would be over in 5. But I don't think that they are quite, you know, it's hard to tell right now because sometimes they just don't look like they are focused and they're just going through the motions like it's a regular season game they're just tuning up and then all of a sudden bam they're down by 30 right like they just like they give up some games and it's frustrating to see because this is the playoffs you need 16 wins and you know to win it all You can't afford to drop a game because when you drop a game, you end up like in Game 7 like the Suns, and then you aren't able to get it back when you have a poor shooting night. So it's a matter of how focused and disciplined they are coming out of the gate, how they stay that way, even if they're up in the series. And Because Dallas does not quit, and they will not quit. If they're facing elimination, we know what we've seen from Luka Doncic when he's facing elimination. So I'm going to go with the Warriors in six. I think it's going to be a tough series. I think Luka is going to give it his all. I think Jason Kidd is a very good coach right now. And it's going to be a very interesting coaching battle to watch as well. But I'm not going against my dubs. And I do think that home court is going to help. I think that the Warriors are probably going to take, you know, the first two games, maybe the first three out of four. And then the Mavericks are going to take maybe game five. And we're going to close it out in game six. So, all right, let's move on. To the Eastern Conference we also had a game seven between the Bucks and the Celtics the defending champion Bucks their title defense will fall short this year they lost to the Celtics 109 to 81 it was uh it was kind of disappointing in terms of a game seven both games were actually and they kind of lost in a blowout and Grant Williams had a career high 27 points in the game Giannis only had 20 points it was kind of a disappointing night for him but he is also the first player to have 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in a series, which is insane. Like, he's balling out. Could you deny that Giannis is pretty much... I think he's just the best player in the NBA at this point. Like, I don't know how you could say that he's not.
1: Too big, too strong.
0: Yeah. It's just a shame because, honestly, the pr- team I feared the most was the Bucks in the entire playoffs as a Warriors fan. Because mm-hmm. how are you going to f- defend Giannis? Like,
2: I wouldn't even say that the Warriors beat the Bucks, honestly, because Giannis is just that overwhelming.
1: Because he's going to just run over all our guards. <laughs> and there's actually nothing
2: you can really do to
1: stop that.
2: Yeah.
0: But somehow the Celtics found a way. But, of course, it doesn't help that the Bucks only went 4-for-33 on three-pointers in possibly the biggest game of their uh, season. It reminded me of the Rockets when they went 0-for-27, um, for a certain stretch against the Warriors in game seven, so it was a very disappointing result. And this one also had no Chris Middleton the entire series. He missed the entire series. So do you think that like we talked about this before, Vib, but would Chris Middleton have changed the result of this series?
2: Well, Chris Middleton, he has that reputation of being a Celtics killer, yeah. so I just want to like kind of go with the meme take and be like, yeah, it would have totally been different. But like I was saying before, man, I don't really know. But I think that this game, the onus of it really just falls on Budenhoser and letting the Celtics just shoot that much, especially the act of leaving Grant Williams that open, a guy who is essentially a 40% three-point shooter. It's just target practice for him at that point. Most NBA players, if you leave them open, they're going to hit them vast majority of their threes. I mean, at this point, if you're playing in the league, even if you don't display that ability to shoot in the game, at least if they're wide open, they will hit a shot more often than not. And that was just really confusing. I mean, him and Peyton Pritchard were able to kind of go off and, you know, Tatum was good. He was able to play a more facilitator role after having that sensational game six. But yeah, the Celtics were just the deeper team at this juncture. And we were also talking about this too, Matt, but we were also mentioning that the Bucks did have the worst perimeter defense mm-hmm. left and they got exposed for it. And that was also a major factor in this game. But yeah, Giannis can only do so much. The Bucks with Chris Middleton, that definitely would have changed the complexion of the series for sure. But I do see ways in which the Celtics can still pull this out. But I give credit to the Bucs for even getting this far with no Middleton because I do think Middleton is that significant of a player to the point where, you know, the Bucks were playing uh, with uh unfavourable uh, you know, matchup in the sense that they don't have all of their guys available, right? So yeah, kudos to them for that. And yeah, Al Horford was also really good this series too. A bunch of the guys on the Celtics stepped up and there were also some really nice moments throughout the series from the Celtics player as well. And you know, Drew Haldie had that insane game. Um, also, Connaughton was really good. Bobby Portis. So it wasn't a complete wash from the Bucks. I want to say. Like, I don't want to go out and say that, you know, the Bucks just played terribly. I think it was a lot of coaching and personnel decisions that were kind of head scratching at times. But, you know, like, it, this wasn't as embar This was definitely not as embarrassing as, say, like, the Suns Mavs matchup. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: I mean,. It helps when you're the defending champions, right? Definitely. And you can
2: just chalk it up as a, as a title hangover and be like, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, the Celtics are still like a hella good team, so it's all good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right, Viv. I think that Giannis was the better player, and he was the best. Again, I think he's just the best player in the NBA at this point. Like, He's just doing things that are just completely unstoppable. Like and you're just going to hope that he just has a bad enough game like he did here, where he only goes for 20 points, and, you know, he doesn't completely destroy you. So, you know, the Celtics are the deeper team at the end of the day. I wanted to go th- with the Celtics in 7 to start, but then when we saw the Bucks beat them in Game 1, I switched to Bucks in 7. Kind of wish I didn't, but, you know, it kind of goes to show that, you know, I felt like Whoever won the series, it felt like the Bucks Nets last year in the second round. Where whoever wins the series, now they're tested. Now they've beat like they feel like they've beat the best. And they're gonna go out and try to beat anyone else right now. They're gonna beat the brakes off of anyone else. And I'm not saying that the Miami Heat, they are no slouch, honestly. You know Oh, they
2: definitely ain't, yeah.
0: But I just feel like the Celtics team just becomes even more dangerous at this point because now they're even more battle-tested. They just beat the defending champs. Their confidence is at an all-time high. And I would be very scared to face the Celtics team in the next round. But...
2: I mean, yeah, Udoka's defensive rotations and him preaching about them being a defensive-oriented team, especially with a team that their two best players were Tatum and Brown, both of whom aren't particularly known as being great defenders, they were able to make a huge shifting their identity, and go on this crazy tear since like, the end of December, early January, and they just really took off, and they beat the Bucks, Even if there was no Chris Milton you still to stop Giannis. I mean, that's a really hard thing to do over seven games, and they were able to do it. Al Horford stepped up, and Robert Williams came back. He provided some good minutes. You know, Derek White was hella good. Like, they, they have a really deep squad going down over there, and yeah, kudos to them, and Yeah, the Heat also have some similarities with the Celtics too. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more soon, but... Yeah, we could talk about it I'm really excited. We could talk about it now, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, the Heat remind me a lot of the Celtics too. They're both really deep teams. Mm -hmm. They're both really gritty. They both play around a lot with their lineups. And they have a lot of players who can shoot the ball. And they they go with their role players hitting threes a lot at the time. And their star players kind of being facilitators and all-around players who can score, defend, assist, and play rotations well. So that's going to be a really tough series to look out for. And I'm really excited to watch the Heat Celtics finals, conference finals.
0: Yeah, I mean, what the Heat did to the Sixers, and I know they had two games, they dropped two games in Philly when Joel Embiid returned. How could you not? He was the scoring leader uh, this season. But this Heat team, Jimmy Butler, first of all, is having a very good playoff stretch. I know that I said Giannis was, you know, probably the best player in the NBA right now, and he was showing it. But Butler has had a pretty good, uh, like, stretch. Basically, the only game that you know he didn't do very well was against the Seventy Sixers, Game One. But ever since then, you know, let's see, we, he had thirty two last game, he had twenty three, forty, thirty three, and like. He's just been dominating, and especially on the road, which is unfortunately they have home court advantage. But, you know, he is just a force to be dealt with. They're doing all of this sometimes without Kyle Lowry, by the way. Like, one of you know their more impactful players, but they are just so stifling on defense, and they can kill you in so many ways on offense, and that's what makes them so versatile, right? Because they have just an, a variety of players that can step up, right? they obviously have the sixth man of the year tyler hero but they also have like max streus you know they have you know they have pj tucker kind of as a role player right but yeah gabe
2: vincent gabe vincent killa
0: martin victor oladipo yeah oladipo i didn't even know he was still around
2: yeah and he he's, he's alive pro- he's, he's, he's alive, alive. <laughs> like 2018 wasn't a mirage after all no. with indiana i mean he's basically come back and He's been pretty good now, now that he's put the injuries behind him. He's accepted his role as being a bench player, kind of a role player on this team, and he's done really well for himself. And he could definitely be a starting quality player across other teams in this league, but the fact that he's also just a bench player now for the Miami Heat, it just goes to show like how deep this team really is. And that's also why, that I was saying before, that's why I'm so excited about this Heat-Celtics matchup, because they have a ton of guys on both sides who can like play in this matchup legitimately. And they can play a lot with the rotations and the lineups. And that's going to be super cool to watch. Yeah,
0: and accepting your role. That's the biggest thing. Like, Duncan Robinson. He didn't even play, really, this series. But he... And he was a starter. They pay him, like, what? They have, gave him a $90 million contract or something like that?
2: Yeah, they did. Yeah,
0: but they didn't play him a lot this series. Like, but, you know... He just stayed ready until they called upon him. And then I think he showed up in game six, right? So, you know, like they expand up mentality. Yeah, that's what it is. And it's a really good testament to the heat culture, basically, that we've been hearing about a lot. So it is going to be very fun to watch the heat and the Celtics. I feel like they're very evenly matched. Um, they really are yeah. That's
2: gonna be A really hard I mean you can really go You can make a really good Coaching argument For either side And I'll be like You know what I kind of agree with you You know so And they play what
0: like, They played in the bubble Last year
2: Last time right They did And that was a banger Of a series
0: Man It feels so long ago The bubble was what Two years ago Less than two years ago Yeah it was It feels so long ago At this point Alright so What do we have For this series What do we think Is gonna happen
1: I say Celtics. Mm. Celtics in 7. Spicy.
0: I'm going Celtics in 6. I think that the thing is with the Celtics is that I feel like they're a little bit bigger than the Heat in terms of just like we're talking about two really good defensive teams. Celtics are ranked number 1 in defensive rating. Heat are ranked number 4. So these guys are no slouches. But I think that the Heat can be exploited a little bit more on defense because of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. There's a reason why Duncan Robinson didn't play that much, right? was because he was a defensive liability against the bigger 76ers with Embiid and Harris and Harden, right? But, and I think that's the same case. I think they're going to switch a lot on Robinson. They're going to, like, exploit him. They're going to do the same with Tyler Hero. Ime Udoka is not going to play around. He's going to go after them right away. So... You know i think again i think that the celtics have all the confidence in the world i think that they're, they're ready for the heat and i think they could win this series and i'd be very scared of them basically if the warriors advanced
2: i'm gonna go with the heat over here all right because they've just steamrolled all the teams so far and, and i mean it's not just that prior uh, matchups playing a part in it but I also think that Jimmy Butler has had some really great two-way performances and I don't necessarily identify a great solution to that. And and not only that too, but although the Celtics are good at playing perimeter defense, you know, the Bucks still were draining a lot of threes in the previous series, and I do think that the Heat have better shooters than the Bucks do. Mm. Do you think that I'm going to go with the heat in this one?
0: do you think that, um, I think a big thing is that the offense, who's going to get some more offensive production, right? And I think you look to Butler really, and then a bunch of role players. And then for the Celtics, you go Tatum and Brown, maybe. Right. Um, so who do you think has the office offensive advantage basically in the series? That's something I want. Like I'm actually genuinely thinking about right now. I'm, Curious to hear what you guys think.
2: Yeah, so I guess thinking out loud, you do have Al Horford who can play kind of three at three levels. I mean, not really three levels because he doesn't have that much of a mid-range game as compared to just him scoring a lot in the paint, but he can do that in the three-point line. Marcus Smart kind of just, he he can hit threes. He can drive in occasionally. Um, Derek White is kind of just facilitating, but he hits threes. Um, and then Tatum and Brown, they're both three-level scorers. Whereas with the Heat, I mean, Tyler Hero can score at all three levels. Yeah. Um, PJ Tucker's kind of a corner specialist, and obviously you have the three-point uh, kind of flamethrowers across the rest of the Heat squad, pun intended. <laughs> um, so the Heat are definitely a team that kind of live and die by that three-ball. And I mean, Butler... I mean, yeah, Butler has been scoring from everywhere. I think the Heat are definitely a team that take more advantage of the three. And they do have the better personnel to make that happen. I think it's just a question of yeah, who is placed on Horford. I assume that would be PJ Tucker, right? I guess so. Because in P- terms of Robert Williams will there, be yeah a problem. And Robert Williams is also there, although he's kinda of just more of a lob threat slash finisher. Because Al Horford definitely emerged really strongly in the latter half of the Bucks celtics series. So you're going to have to watch out for that as well. Um, kind of being a difference maker. Because like we were all talking about, both teams actually play a pretty similar brand of basketball. Uh, the Celtics, I think, are kind of different than the Heat though when it comes to defense. and that the Heat are that more zone-oriented team. Um, and they are smaller, so that's an adjustment that they'll have to kind of accommodate with, with Horford, which is why I bring up that point. Horford and Robert Williams as well. So that could actually swing the matchup, but just theorizing about it versus actually seeing it play out, it's really hard, but yeah, I trust the Heat shooters more so than anything. Like They have a lot of really good shooters on the bench, and I think they have just an embarrassment of riches there, so I'm going to go with them
0: makes sense i think i'd go with the heat in terms of shooters as well so that's what makes it so hard yeah all right so we've talked about the heat we talked about the Celtics, but we forgot about our good old friends the philadelphia 76ers Uh, no
2: no no we didn't forget (laughs) about you philly
0: no no we didn't you know viv when we started this podcast we talked about when the Sixers chose Jimmy Butler, they chose to let him go in favor of signing Tobias Harris to a max contract, and this is like episode 5 or 6 or something.
2: It wasn't necessarily <laughs> that they actually let Jimmy Butler go. I understand it that, was, but... It was more so that like Jimmy Butler and the front office had differences, and like him and Brett Brown had differences. Like They did try to re-sign uh, Jimmy to that max seal. Yeah, we were talking about that before, and I know you know that, but... I, yeah, think that I think that they could he, have done more.
0: I think that they should have more. He done were
2: more, more. alluring to Jimmy Butler because they kind of had the brand of basketball and kind of that grit and toughness yeah. and resilience to their front office and organizational history that the Sixers didn't really have, especially with kind of their current core. When you so, when you
0: have a guy like Butler and you had a core like Simmons and Embiid, we're talking about the Grizzlies and they had a the lack of playoff experience. They needed a they need a closer, right? And Josh supposed to be that guy for the Grizzlies, but in the Sixers, you know, I guess Embiid is that guy now. But Butler was that guy when he was there, and he was traded there. Like the Sixers ran all in that year, right? They had Simmons, Reddick, Butler, Tobias Harris, and Embiid, and then that was they were a Kawhi buzzer beater away from possibly going to the NBA Finals as well, like. And then they could have beaten the Warriors. I don't know if they would. They would have killed them. Yeah. (laughs) It depends on what happened in that series, like if Clay gets hurt and whatnot. But, you know, like the Sixers, that was probably their best squad yet. And now they've gone through how many rebuilds now? They went to the Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and Al Horford. And then, you know, now they went to Ben Simmons. I don't even know who the hell was like there the year before, right? Like this, la- the prior year before this one But
2: It was basically the same squad Yeah except for Josh had. Richardson
0: right So it was like Simmons yeah. and uh, Harris and Embiid right But then they had
2: Maxi and then Shake Milton Yeah
0: and now they had James Harden They traded away Ben Simmons for James Harden So what we're right. on like our fourth iteration Now ever since then And Jimmy Butler had some pointed comments Basically that you know he would have loved To play with Embiid still And you know basically it stems from the decision that tobias harris was maxed out instead of jimmy butler and i feel like a lot of that was sunk cost fallacy right there right like they traded more picks for tobias harris and they wanted to max him out and they felt like he was a better fit for the team but when you look at it you just got to go sometimes with the talent in a certain aspect because jimmy butler's that dude jimmy butler carried you know the heat team in the bubble playoffs And now he's taking them to another conference finals appearance. Meanwhile, Philly has not made it to a conference finals ever in the Embiid era, right? So
2: yeah, it's unfortunate. But like, also, I think that Jimmy just said that pregame comment about him choosing to them choosing Tobias Harris over him just to hype himself up. They didn't really. It wasn't kind of a, you know, kind of a dichotomy in that they didn't have to choose one or the other. They had the cap space to send both. But Jimmy just was kind of done with the Sixers because he knew that Ben Simmons was frustrated. Because when the Sixers-Raptors Eastern Conference Finals Series was happening, they took the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. And Ben Simmons is kind of a guy who was playing with the ball in his hands a lot in the regular season. But Brett Brown didn't trust uh, Simmons to have the playmaking duties and to kind of be the point forward. That role went instead to Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy didn't take to it kindly because he thought, you know, why are they switching up the style? There's not a consistency within the team. It's like you're telling one player what they want to hear, but then doing the actual action in a completely different way. So at least that's what he said on his podcast episode with JJ Redick, sure. which is also a great lesson, a great episode to listen to. Not better if you ever than want Sports to check Townsend, out that. but yeah. Not not better than sports council. I think we still take number one. Yeah. Non-biased take at all. Non-biased. Completely non-biased. Eat your heart out that McAfee. <laughs> yeah, he has nothing on us. But yeah, I he just said that to hype himself up. I didn't really think that the Sixers just chose to buy a over Butler because when you have a team that was this close, like four balances away from making the finals, you don't break up a squad like that. It's just inner turmoil and kind of organizational cacophony and nonsense that just lets the whole team just fall into disarray. But yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate what's happened with the Sixers uh, getting kind of the relics of James Harden. (laughs) uh, It's not where you want to be at the end of the day. Like if you're getting the Houston version of James Harden, completely different story, right? But I mean, even Embiid was saying that in his... Post game pressure, Like This version of Harden Is like Not the version of Harden That you saw In Houston And Who said that? I think Embiid said that
0: Embiid said that? Mm-hmm Oh man
2: Okay Because Harden is more of a playmaker At this point in his career And he's always been A really good playmaker Don't get me wrong But That kind of works When you're not Kind of the number Two guy On a team And more so like The number three guy were kind of like an augmenting piece, like like with the Nets, yeah. you know? Like, I think that if KD, Kyrie, and Harden all played, like, they all played, if, this got goes to the Kyrie, vaccine. if Kyrie got the vaccine, <laughs> I think they could have developed that chemistry and gone far, because in the limited run that all three of those guys had together, and not to make this like every other show like that talks about sports, because... They all love talking about the Nets and the what-if about the victory, But every time they actually did play together, they looked incredible, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think they were they were just kind of worse apart. And that's what it came down to. Like, this version of Embiid is amazing. Top three player in the league at minimum right now. But, like, yeah, he just, Harden isn't really qualifying as major help, in my honest opinion.
0: So, now that we've seen the Sixers... Like we we talked about the past, we've talked about the present. So, what does the future look like? Are we supposed to believe that? Oh, we say this every offseason, season. Honestly, this is the final version of the seventy sixes. This is the final starting lineup. <laughs> Jeez, every like, version. Every time. It's
2: so hard to get help for Embiid though. I don't really know who they can get. Kind of as like you know, a side a, a side piece upgrades. We
0: we'll trade Looney and uh, well, fuck! I don't want to trade Looney. Uh, We'll trade Wiseman and um, Damian Lee. Nah, I don't want to trade Wiseman.
2: (laughs) Oh, Wiseman for Embiid? Okay, yeah. I'll
0: throw in Wiggins too uh, for Embiid. we are just being generous at this point. Yeah, Kuminga will be small forward now. And then, yeah, we'll get Embiid. Steph can get his Under Armour, bro. (laughs) But, you know, seriously, like, should the Sixers... Because you either... Okay, blow it up again. You change the lineup again. Do something about it. And... You know, come out with your like six starting lineup or whatever with Embiid, and then maybe you can get better. Maybe you'll get even worse, or you're going to stay put at this point, which kind of seems like what they're doing because Harden's contract is up next year. They still have a chance to see if he's the same old James Harden. He could make a comeback or whatever. Doc Rivers is not going to be fired, even though he hasn't really, you know, done more than Brett Brown right now. Like,
2: yeah, because Brett Brown guided them through the process. Yeah. Doc Rivers just came in, kind of, is the restart guy, or the retooling guy after Brett Brown got let go.
0: So, yeah. So, what are the Sixers going to do at this point? First of all, let's talk about James Harden. James Harden, once again, in an elimination game, he averages, you know, this is his actual stats in an elimination game. And I think this is, yeah. So he's like, He's one in eight. First of all, in terms of record, forty percent field goal percentage, twenty seven percent from three point range, six turnovers per game. I think he had eight in this game against the Heat. He wasn't even shooting, honestly. Like,
2: yeah, he wasn't. It's
0: kind of embarrassing.
2: It's really embarrassing, and I mean, he's caught in He had eleven. A lot of luck. He had eleven. 11. He had 11? Okay. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Good, on good on you. job. Good on Double you. digits. Yeah, I'll give him a cookie for that. Good on you, bro. But I mean, shoot, like, I mean, I've been saying that about Harden for the longest time now. And to be fair, I was saying that for him to be part of a championship squad, he needs to be less of a scorer and more of a playmaker. But, I mean, if you're going to be playing pick and pop or pick and roll, rather, I mean, with Embiid, you can do both, pick and pop and pick and roll. But if you really want your team to be a two-man game, then both guys have to be scoring threats. Like, Harden's always been a fantastic playmaker, and I think that part got kind of swept under the rug throughout his prolific scoring run in Houston. But, like, you know, you got to keep the defense honest. He did have, like, some vintage performance, but, like, 31 was not even... was kind of nothing for Houston James Harden, right? Yeah.
0: you got to understand the insane stretch of games he had when he was 2019, I guess, 2019 James Yeah, that was
2: ridiculous. Yeah,
0: but, you know, also free throws, but, you know, we'll talk about that. Free
2: throws also helped in that, but, yeah, he looked way more explosive, and he was really crafty with his finishes, and he could hit the step back. And those are all things that he struggles with now. Like, his conditioning just seems off. Yeah,
0: I wonder if it's the really high usage rate that D'Antoni put him through. Like you know some players tend to break down when they use that highly like lebron is the only one basically that you know he's basically an anomaly at this point but you know he's
2: the anomaly of anomalies yeah Yeah, you can always just kind of as an aberration but like with harden it definitely should have must have taken a toll on him playing with him being kind of the only guy in houston Mm -hmm. it definitely contributed to that I'm sure. Yeah. And also just him I think caring more about Lil Baby than Larry O'Brien. <laughs> hey, that sh- could have played a part you in me
0: Anyone else see Trey? Oh, it's not Trey. I think it was Jaw. It was Jaw ja Lil, Lil Baby, Baby <laughs>
2: in that in that ad. That song is also kind of fire too, not gonna lie.
0: He's like I guess Lil Baby broke up with uh Lil <laughs> You
2: already know James Harden I was like why wasn't it me man?
0: No more Paris trips for the two. It's sad. Well, we're not gonna take a trip to Paris, but we're gonna take one to Cancun. I like that subway, man. And we're gonna see we're gonna this is to kind of cap it off. The Grizzlies seventy sixers, Bucks and Suns, as we've said, are all eliminated this round. Both finals teams, uh, nah, from last year in the Suns and Bucks have been eliminated. The number one and two seed in the West are gone. And, you know, this is pretty big honestly these were all kind of contenders in their own ways and you could honestly say the Suns were probably the most favored and I think the Bucks were second so um whole new atmosphere here and now they've all ended their season in a disappointing fashion so let's talk about you know these teams just in general so if we're talking about just these four teams which one do you think has the best chance of getting even better next year and possibly pushing this uh, playoff result, maybe into a conference finals appearance, maybe a finals appearance. Who has the best possible future just for next year, I guess?
2: I think the easy answer is the Bucks because they weren't at full strength.
0: I'd have to agree.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, without Chris Middleton, Since the Chris Middleton went down.
0: Okay. Now, what about the most disappointing team? Which team is getting worse um, next season. Just like the Jazz. I think
2: that's also a really easy answer, too. I think that had to be the Sixers, because Embiid is just basically on an island at this point. I mean, Maxie's a great player, don't get me wrong. Like I, I love Maxi's breakout throughout this whole season. Him being the starting point guard, throughout a tumultuous process with the Ben Simmons drama, and he absolutely put out a show. I really like his feature, and he's going to be a really nice player in this league, but I don't think he's the number two guy for a championship team at this point in his career. I don't think that's wrong to say. Yeah. And, I mean, Max, he's a great scorer, and he's pretty, he's surprisingly adept at getting rebounds too, but, yeah, you would want to see some more, like, assists, like, some shot creating ability, and then, yeah, defense too. Like, he does grab a lot of steals, not, like, at an amazing rate, but, like, He's not necessarily like a guy you can look to and be like, okay, you can put him on defense against some really good players. You you kind of want to hide him a lot at a time. But even just besides breaking down Max, you right, I don't really think he's like championship number two material yet. I don't think I don't he's really an all star.
0: He's not even an all star yet. Like, he needs to he's not get star first. Before... Tyrese. Needs... I think Tyrese Maxie. is Max. I think he's Vax. I think right? he's Vax. I think it's yeah. Tybol that you're talking oh, about. Oh, Tybol. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think Maxi is borderline All Star for sure at this point, point. and also the Celtics, not the Celtics, the Eastern guards are like, they they do they're pretty strong, right? But like, I think if Maxi is more consistent, he will definitely get All Star buzz starting from next year.
0: Or well, if James Harden keeps taking a dive, I think yeah, the guards are in the East are looking less and less. You got Kyrie, you got Trey, you got Lamelo, um, yeah, Garland, like Garland, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but. Uh, They haven't hit that like jump,
2: and he got DeRozan. Yeah,
0: is DeRozan a guard or is he like a
1: forward?
2: I I I guess I put him as a forward. Yeah. Yeah, Because in the Bulls lineups, he would always play forward. Yeah. So I mean, he'd always be like a small forward or even power forward. DeMar
1: DeRozan's fool's gold.
0: (laughs) It's true. I mean, he's not. Yeah. We I think we've covered this before, but so um, okay. I would also say the Sixers. We they were the first seed last year and then now they're the fourth seed and this is with them be putting up MVP numbers again. And even if he somehow is able to keep on doing that, at a, like until he wins the MVP, he's going to keep spiting them and trying to put up those numbers. We saw Nikola Jokic just win a back-to-back MVP season and his team got, you know, a worse result than last year. So, you know, I think that it's probably going to probably be Embiid in the 76ers unless they do something really massive at this point
1: they traded everything away just for james harden and get a second or first or a second round exit so yeah ah, feels bad I mean, and, they the doc, and they still have doc <laughs> and they still have doc <laughs> and they still have doc they, still have, they doc. still have doc how does he have a job i i don't understand what are you talking about he's a top 15 coach oh my god all time <laughs> top 15
0: <laughs> 2008 celtics uh he's still writing that high. good
2: old guy glenn you know something to talk about for the next 14 to 15
0: years <laughs> it's always the 76ers somehow okay and what was the most disappointing team this year in terms of these four i think we have the answer
2: i think it's easy to say let's just talk about why christopher sucked <laughs> <laughs>
0: hmm I mean, okay,
2: let me not be mad about him. He was was 37. Like, you you can't put the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's kind of, like, the main reason, him and Monty Williams, kind of the main reason why the Suns became this good. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Booker and Aiden were fine, right? But, like, the real true experience on this team comes from Chris Paul, Christopher Paul, Excuse me, mm-hmm. Christopher Emmanuel Paul, yes, Jay Crowder, and Monty Williams.
0: Jay Crowder, oh man.
2: Jay, Jay Crowder does add experience. He like, adds experience, this
0: team, I guess. He does losing experience. Some, yeah, losing experience, you know, LeBron experience. in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, LeBron experience. <laughs> but if finals. you look at the rest of the Suns lineup, actually, or like their roster, it's kind of a bunch of. It was kind of like their young core at one point. You got like Cam Johnson. You got Mikhail Bridges. You got Aiden, you got Booker. Those are guys who like had to toil under mediocrity for like a long time.
0: I think most of the experience is actually from Javale McGee, but you know, I didn't. that
2: also that also helps a lot too. Three time, time champion
1: lie. Javale McGee and gold medalist yes. Javale McGee, yo, gold Shaq medalist.
2: Eat heart out, man. <laughs> we really helped revive Javale
0: McGee. If he has one more ring, I think he ties Shaq. Too bad the Suns <laughs> failed to get him that ring. He can come back to the Warriors.
1: Yeah. Come back, Javel. We'll put you to use. <laughs> we need you. We could
2: actually use him quite a bit. It'd be I nice. It'll be really nice to have like he provided energy off the bench and he was able to hold his own defensively at times. And yeah. having just a really big body like that, you need that.
0: Exactly. All right. That's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Sports Council. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. Um, to listen to all of our episodes and you can subscribe there. You can also follow us at Bay Council on Twitter to stay up to date on the latest and greatest of our sports takes. Any more hot takes that you want to announce before we sign off?
1: Uh, does anyone know the n- mental health hotline for G?
0: <laughs> I think I'll get him the help he needs, you know. <laughs> He's going to get through this. I hope to see him on the next uh, episode.
1: Okay. Okay. We gotta look out for my boy. I think mean, he he went through enough.
0: I think it's uh you know the first twenty four hours of postseason depression. You know I feel like we've all been there. You know, G. It's just you know it's compounded every year. Unfortunately.
1: What's the what's the what's the cycle? It's um there's oh, Kluber five...
2: Ross's stages of depression. Yeah, there's like
1: five <laughs> stages, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, but here's the thing, right? G. This is goes one. This one goes out to you, man. You were always on a losing battle. You can never claim that Christopher Emmanuel Paul was a better point guard or will be ranked as a better point guard all time than Wardell Stephen Curry II.
0: Oh, I think that's true. Let's, let's, I think he just, just wants go them to win, win a ring. But
1: yeah, I, I,
2: don't, I don't know if that's gonna happen. Yeah, I think we're in the. I think he's gonna have to pull a Gary Payton. You know, just ride the bench for a really good team, and you'll just pick us
0: up. Hey, Gary Payton hasn't done it yet, right? Which, which one are you talking about? Gary Payton Jr.? Senior. Junior? Oh. The glove. I don't think. The OG he, glove. Did Gary Payton ever win? Yeah, he won. Oh, he did. He won with the Heat. I was thinking about his time with the Lakers.
2: Yeah, oh, that was a disastrous yeah. season. <laughs> I
0: think, CP3? I think, would you gee. accept CP3 on the Warriors? Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about
1: that. <laughs> it's I, hard. I, yeah, it's kind of tough. It's like when if LeBron joined the Warriors. Like, oh, okay LeBron would I, I don't want him to join like, he'll ruin the see, culture exactly
0: exactly like it's talent versus you know I've hated you for so many years it's like when Gav had LeBron join the Warriors I mean the Lakers
2: like like Christopher has definitely helped out the players like Booker took a leap Aiden took a leap even though they completely like shot the bed <laughs> this series he did We don't need leap. kind of as a coach maybe he What's can up? join
0: the Grizzlies we don't need a leap
2: yeah. Uh, no, dude, if Chris, if Christopher joined the Grizzlies, man They, they don't need another talker, man Oh, man
0: that the... Imagine
2: if Christopher and Pat Bev joined the Grizzlies man.
0: <laughs> They'd be the most hated Oh, my God Imagine Oh, man If and the entire NBA would hate them If, like, literally, it would be like, be like Grayson Allen you That literally would be a war Allen, zone Draymond uh, Rudy Gobert People hate Rudy Gobert uh, Ben Simmons You gotta get an all-hate team going on here You gotta do that I mean, any team with Dylan Brooks at the home is so oh easy again. I forgot Dylan Brooks too. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, that's that. I'm glad that they're done. We're still moving on. Go, dubs! Oh,
2: yeah. Stay strong, G. Yeah, Just stay strong, G. Hope you come to the next pod
0: episode. Yes. We'll be waiting for you, G. Until then. Goodbye.